Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. We are heading into a sermon series on the book of Galatians, and that series will actually take us right up to Easter. Which, I mean, it seems like Easter should be very far away because it feels like we just got past Christmas. But Easter Sunday is April 1st this year, so it's going to come in a hurry. Um, but we have a whole book of the Bible we want to get through. And, and I, I personally love doing a sermon series on on a book of the Bible. It gives us a lot of time to be really intentional and, and really walk through multiple chapters and multiple themes and really start to try to understand what this book is trying to teach us. And the book of Galatians is one of those books that is really, it's a book that helps to ground you. It's a, it's a book that, that helps to keep you sound and, and keep you on some solid teaching. It, it's written by a guy named Paul. Um, Paul was an apostle. Now, an apostle isn't really like a pastor as much as he's sort of like a church planter. So Paul would would go out to different areas outside of Israel, and he would bring the gospel to people. He would bring the good news of who Jesus was to people who, who weren't from that area. And he felt that he was called by God to bring the gospel to non-Jews, or sometimes it's referred to as Gentiles in your Bibles. He, he felt like people who didn't know Jesus, his job was to take the message of Jesus to them. And that's exactly what he did. He went around what, what we would call today modern-day Turkey. So, so that area, um, it's sort of, uh, it's north and a little west of, of Israel. And, and he, he took the message along the coastal areas and deep into the heart of Turkey. And he planted a bunch of churches. And so after he planted them, he, he would rise up leadership within that area and, and he would equip them and he would make sure that the leadership was in order and then he would he would take off and go somewhere else and do it all over again start all over again plant plant another church but in order to maintain what he had already started in these churches he, he would get reports from the leadership of the churches to find out how they were doing, you know, kind of figure out if things were staying in order. And, and then he would write bet letters back to these churches to, to kind of, you know, try to keep them in line, help them grow, um, kind of make sure that everything was functioning the way that it should. So a lot of these little books in the New Testament, a lot of them are actually letters that are written to various churches. So they'll have names that are similar to the cities. So the book of Corinthians was a city in Corinth. Or the book of Philippians was written to people in Philippi. Or, or the book of Colossians was written to people in Colossae. So the titles of these books are often referencing cities. But some of the letters that were written actually weren't letters written to the churches at all. The letters were written to the pastor of the church. And that's where we get in the New Testament a book like Timothy. It was a letter that Paul had written to Timothy to help him grow in his leadership. 
So when we read these little books in the New Testament, or letters, it gives, it, they were intended to give those people what they needed, but it also gives us what we need today. And that is solid teaching on how to live a Christian life. And that's why we're excited to be doing the book of Galatians, because regardless of where you are in your journey, we all need some really good teaching. And the book of Galatians is really quite incredible. Paul, he planted this great church, and then shortly after he left, some of the Christians who were Jews, who really didn't quite have their Christian faith totally grounded, they sort of came in behind Paul and started telling new Christians that they weren't quite doing it right. That, yeah, okay, Paul told you this, but there's a few other things you should also be doing. And so the book of Galatians is really a corrective letter to communicate the big idea of how to stay free. Really, how to keep the right perspective on the gospel. So let's start at the very beginning of the book. Let's, I, I, every time I say that, I think of the, of the um, sound of music. Yeah, let's start at the very beginning. Like, I, did anyone, did that pop into anyone's head and they wanted to, Andrea's nodding her head. I think we're cut from the same cloth, Andrea. <laughs> Songs just pop into your head about everything. But we are going to start at the very beginning of the book of Galatians. So today there's going to be a lot of scripture, not only in the book of Galatians, but we're going to go to Genesis, and we're going to go to 1 John, and we're going to go to Romans. We're going to be all over the place. So if you really want to do some, like, sword drills with your Bible, and if you, if you grew up in the church, that's like this silly game of trying to be the fastest at finding it in your Bible. If you are really into that, then you pull out your Bibles, and, and you, can, you can do that. But if you're not really into that, all of the passages will be on the screen for you today. So don't stress about trying to find them all. It's, it might be stressful for Vienna, because I think there's 30-some slides. But uh, for the rest of you, it'll be very relaxing. So we're going to start at the beginning of the book of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. So before we go any farther, the brothers and sisters with him. So Paul traveled with a bit of an entourage. He traveled with a, a bunch of people who were helpers, who could help him along the way as they went and they planted these churches and, and, and started these new congregations. To the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, and everybody said, Amen. And then the next verse is the interesting verse. In fact, this is as far in the chapter as we're going to go today. Um, so I would encourage you to read the rest of this chapter later. In fact, I would encourage you to read the book of Galatians every week as we walk through this book together. It'll help keep it fresh in your mind. And, and I would also encourage you to you know, ask God to answer some of the questions that come up as you read it. I mean, we're here to try to, to give some guidance, and, but really we want you to get in the habit of reading your Bible and asking God to reveal 
reveal things to you too. So really encourage you to do that. But we're not going to go through the whole first chapter today because a lot of it is, is historical. So Paul talks about how he met Jesus and, and how he trained and about his own personal journey and, and, and in that process how he grew. And But one key verse in this chapter is, is the one we're going to really focus on today. And, and I think it's a bit of a key verse for the entire book. I'm, I'm going to say it's a key verse for the entire book. And that comes in verse 6. And Paul says this. He says, I am astonished. So, so he's saying, I am just so surprised at what is happening here. Like he's actually a little bit fed up. And you're going to see that, you're going to feel that as you read through this book, that he, he's got a little bit of attitude with them as he, he writes this letter. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. Grace is the key word here. I'm, he's saying, I'm so, so surprised at you guys. Like, this teaching that I gave you and the freedom that you found, but you've gone right back. And you are turning to, and this is the key phrase that I want you to grasp on today, onto today, you're, you're turning to a different gospel. To which some of you are probably thinking, oh, I didn't know there was more than one. Well, there really is. There are literally two different approaches to God, two Gospels. And Paul says, you have turned to a different Gospel, and there is one of them which is really no Gospel at all. Two different Gospels. One is the real deal, and one really is no Gospel at all. So he's really fed up because these Christian, these Jewish Christians, they came in behind him and literally what they did, because they were raised Jewish and, and they were part of kind of the Old Testament law, so they had kind of these rules that they were used to following to, to be godly, rules about what they ate, and, and one specific rule was around circumcision. This is a hard word to say. Um, but, but they were circumcised on the eighth day, okay? Jewish people, they were circumcised, the boys were circumcised on the eighth day. And, and so these Jewish Christians are coming in and they're saying to these new Christians who are, you know, adults, hey, in our business meeting, hey, you guys need to be circumcised. Most awkward business meeting ever, I guarantee it. <laughs> definitely, definitely awkward. So they start telling these new Christians that, that in order for them to be part of their Christian club, they need to be circumcised, thinking that all of a sudden nobody wants to be part of that Christian club. <laughs> and what they were doing is actually what a lot of us do. And that is once we find grace and we find freedom and we, we find this free gift, there is this tendency for us to go back into a religious kind of relationship with God. A religious kind of gospel instead of a grace-centered gospel. We have this tendency... So Paul says in the next verse, he says, Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And the reason is because most of us in this room, many of us, we've received Jesus and we found that freedom. You found grace. But it's, it's kind of human nature that we want to go right back into not what God has done for us, but what we can do ourselves. And turn even the freest expression of God's grace and goodness into something that turns into dead religion. Over the Christmas holidays, um, you know, over Christmas, you often get to talk to people you don't see all the time, right? Um, and so I had this opportunity to talk to someone I've known for a really long time. Um, and so she was asking me about, you know, what 2018 is going to bring. And, and I was talking to her about church planting and trying to reach unchurched people. And, and she proceeded to tell me a story about her experience with the church. Her, her family, all Christian people, very committed, devoted people. But, but she got divorced. And when she got divorced... She was rejected, she was condemned by her family, by the church. And because of these extra things, these extra rules that, that got piled up on top, she didn't want to have anything to do with the church anymore. And because she didn't want to have anything to do with the church anymore, she also didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. We have a branding problem. Not only for the church as a mission and what we're trying to do in the world, but, but we have a branding problem for you. Because it's, it's very easy for us to go right back into this other gospel, even after you've received the right gospel. And that's part of the reason why I think it's so important for us to teach this beautiful book on how to live a life of freedom every day. So here's the key question. The question is, how am I going to become godly? Now, if we're striving to be more like Jesus, how am I going to become more godly? How am I going to do it? What is going to be my approach to godliness? Now, by the way, this question applies to every religion. So all religions have a pathway to godliness. So, so man is in some kind of condition and it, it's not good. So the religion has a teaching that gives us the, a pathway to getting to whatever that God is. Religion gives us a pathway. And Christianity really is no different in some ways. The trouble is that most people choose the pathway like all other religions. The list, the, the rules, how you do it, which is not the right pathway. And even in Christianity, it can be messed up, and it can get perverted. And honestly, we can actually become just like that Galatian church. And this message is so foundational that it shows up in the very first story after God created heaven 
and earth. After the creation story, so now God is interacting with man. It's a first story in the Bible, and I think I think it's there on purpose. And by the way, these ideas that I'm going to share with you, they're in the last book of the Bible too. It's literally cover to cover. That's how foundational it is. So let's go to that first story in Genesis chapter 2. Is anybody going to lift their Bible when they got to it? No? Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now before we go any further in this story, I want to clear up a few things for you right now. Because when people start to think about the Garden of Eden story, they start to, you know, maybe think back if they went to Sunday school, they think about the Sunday school story. Or maybe, maybe you read a children's Bible when you were a kid and you see this picture of Eve with her long, flowy hair that's just, it's just good for covering things up in the Garden of Eden story. And, and then you see her and she's holding this perfect apple with this perfect little bite out of it. It doesn't really say anything about an apple either. Um, but, but we have this picture of, of what it's supposed to look like. And, and, and a lot of people would say that just Eve, or maybe Adam and Eve, they, they choose to walk away from God and, and to be in sin, and they choose to be rebellious in the story. I don't think that's actually true at all. They actually had a different choice in front of them. And it's actually way more deadly, and, and, and that choice leads to sin. But it, I don't think it was originally intended to be rebellious sin against God. So, so let's keep reading in the story. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it was knowledge-based, okay? It was... It was a world view. It, it was, what is my approach going to be? How am I going to become more godly? I have options on how to do that. You, you have a choice. You can, you can go through the tree of life, which is what God suggested, or you can become godly, knowing good and evil, having knowledge through this other tree. And watch what God says in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What, what he's saying is, don't let that become your worldview. Don't, don't let good and evil become the lens that you see things through. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. It will put you in this religious tailspin. It will destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your emotions. It will, it will destroy everything. It is that critical. That's what God is saying to them. And obviously God wants us to be in a right relationship with him. And Satan doesn't. So, insert Satan in chapter 3 as a serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say 
No, come on, think about it. Same thing these Jewish Christians behind Paul said. You know, what he really meant was, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now watch what Satan says next. Not true. That's not the right way. You heard him wrong. You will not, sure, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now I want to point something out to you right here. Satan didn't appeal to Eve's desire to be rebellious. He didn't appeal to her desire to be sinful. He appealed to her desire to be godly. To strive to be more like God. And, and when we talk about it, we, we strive to be more Christ-like. We want to be more like Jesus. We won't be like Jesus, but we want to work in that direction. And, and Satan, he's appealing to her desire to be more godly. He says, come my way, and I will show you how to be very godly. I want you to see that because most people think that Satan was there to, to just tempt her to do bad things. No. If you do it my way, it's, it's a better way. You'll, you'll actually be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll have this world of you. You'll have this idea where literally you can control your own godliness, and that's better. So she bought into it. So did Adam. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desired for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now watch what happens in the next verse. And this is what happens when you make a wrong choice, and this happens every time. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. In fact, later in the story, God says, who told you? Like, who told you you were in that condition? You, you weren't ever supposed to know. And watch what immediately happens. Loss of innocence and shame. Loss of innocence and shame. Because every time that we make the wrong religious choice or the wrong gospel choice, it always produces loss of innocence and shame. So they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. Now this basic foundational story is critical for you to know. And I realize that it might be a little deep and a little tough for people to grasp. So I want to explain it to you three 
different ways to make sure that you understand the difference between these two choices. Okay, the two trees, the, the choice between the true gospel and the different gospel. One of them focuses on what you do. In fact, it's really all about you. So let me give you an example. You're, you're suddenly, now you're not thinking about reading your Bible because you love to read God's word and you want to, you want to meet him there. You're thinking about how many chapters you can check off. And not only that, but you start to judge people who read less than you do or don't read in the morning or don't get in their morning devotions because morning devotions are the only right devote like you know we start we start judging people or we start judging other churches because we're theologically sound and we've got it all together and we're superior well let me tell you it's not about us it's not about what we do or what we do not do that's not the focus. The focus should be on what Jesus has done. So one of them focuses on what you do. One focuses on what Jesus has done. So let me, let me say it to you this way. When I read my Bible, I'm not thinking about how much I read, how many pages, how many chapters I can get through. I'm trying to find how much of Jesus can I find in what I've read. You know, where are you, Lord, in this? And if I have to get through ten chapters, I'm going to look for you until I find you. Because I need to get closer to you. I'm not sizing up how much I've done or how smart I am in the scriptures or how fast I can get to this book or, or that book. Jesus says in John chapter 5, he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Not true. Jesus says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You weren't supposed to just read a bunch and memorize a bunch. I mean, it's good to do, and don't misunderstand me. I think it's really important. I want you to read your Bible, and I want you to study your Bible, but the goal isn't for you to just be knowledgeable. The goal is for you to know Jesus, not know about him, to get closer to him. I don't want you to just read the Bible. I want you to experience the Bible. And I want you to find the person of the Bible. Here's another explanation of the difference. One focuses on getting God's approval. See, many of you in this room believe that God is actually mad at you. That he's hard to please. Have you ever noticed how they characterize God in, in cartoons? Have you ever seen like cartoon versions of God? And he's sitting in this like big stone chair and he has his arms firmly planted on the sides and he has this very cranky face. I don't really think that's an accurate depiction of God. I think if, if you could see God's face right now, he would be smiling at you. 
Psalm 2 says, the God who sits in the heavens laughs. So if you have the right picture of God, the God's up there going, man, I just love you so much. I just love you. He's not up there with his cranky face. But that's our view. That's how we see him. And sometimes we think of God like that scene in The Wizard of Oz, creepy movie. I don't like that movie much, but, but it, there's a scene in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy goes to the wizard because she knows that he has this ability to grant her wish, right? She just wants to go home. And before she says anything, he says, what do you want? In this big, loud, scary, I don't know if I do a loud, scary voice very well, but he says, what do you want? And she says, I just want to go home. And he says, then go get the broom and, and prove your worth before I can grant you anything. We think we have to try to get God's approval. And can I tell you something? That's the other gospel. That's the other gospel. Because you don't need to get God's approval. And do you know why? Because God already loves you. One focuses on getting God's approval. One focuses on receiving God's love. You focus on receiving a love for you that already exists. Let me say it this way. God knows your deepest, darkest secret. And he still loves you. I mean, he may not like what you've done. But he still loves you. He loved you before you did it, and he loves you after you did it. And when you understand that, it, it changes everything about the way you relate to him. Now let me say it this way. Your view of God will determine your relationship with God. How you see him determines how you act with him. So if you think he's upset with you all the time, this is how it plays out. So you come to church on Sunday morning, and you did a few things that during the week that you probably shouldn't have done. So you, you think in your mind, well, I better, not, uh, I better not look too joyful, and I better, better not clap too much, and I better not raise my hands too high because that's, that I'd be a, I'd be a hypocrite. And your heart is drawing you closer to God, for a closeness to God in worship. But you talk yourself out of it because you think he's mad at you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says it this way, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has already demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. While we still are sinners. He didn't wait for you to change to start loving you. He loved you so you could change. Or let me say it this way. You don't get your act together to get to God. You get to God to get your act together. He wants you to come as close to him 
as possible. Do you ever wonder why the Bible talks about God's voice as a whisper? Because if God whispers, if someone whispers, what do you have to do to hear them? You have to get close to them. He wants you to get as close to him as you can and love him as much as you can. And you don't find condemnation there. So whatever you have done this week, run to him in worship. And that love that he has for you will change everything. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. So when I worship, it's not because of what I did or what I, I didn't do in the week. I worship because he still loved me while I was being an idiot this week. <laughs> Here's another explanation. One focuses on external duty. Do this, do that, do it, just get it done. You didn't pray enough, you didn't read enough, you didn't give enough. What did you do? Was it enough? That's not enough. I don't want to, but I'll do it anyway. Do, 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 do. But the other one focus on, focuses on internal desire. Serving God is just the joy of my life. I consider it a privilege and an honor to, to stand on this platform on a Sunday morning. I am, I am just so thankful for what God has done in my life, and I'm so thankful for who He is, that it is a delight to serve Him. And that's what I want for you too. I want you to experience that. I don't want you approaching God because you think you have to. I want you to change that from have to to want to. From I, I, I've got to to I get to. So how? How do we eat from the right tree? How do we stay focused on the right gospel? We do it by falling in love with Jesus. Now, for some of you, that makes perfect sense. And for some of you, you're thinking, that sounds weird. How do I fall in love with Jesus? There are two things that make me love Jesus. Who he is. You, if you read your Bible and you really look to see who he is, it's revealed to you in the most amazing way. Who he is and what he's done. When I think correctly of who he is, and I don't see him as this mad, cranky-faced, club-in-his-hand God, but I see the God in the heavens who laughs and loves me. The sinner that I am loves me. Th then I think about who he really is. And when I think about what he has done, I mean, the last time I checked, no one was in line to pay for my sins. No one. I checked the other day. There was nobody in line. 
Last time I checked, there was nobody willing to go through a gruesome death to pay a bill that I incurred. And I'm just, I can't give enough of my life back to him because of who he is and what he's done. And I want to encourage you to fall in love with Jesus. We, we don't need a whole bunch of religious people around here. We need you to be in awe and in love with Jesus. That's what we need. Because once you love Jesus, following the teaching of the Bible is a delight and it will change everything about you. In fact, there's a beautiful verse in John 14. Jesus is speaking here and he says, If you love me, you will obey my command. If you love me, comma. Now you can read this verse out of the wrong gospel. Okay, you can read this verse from the wrong tree. And it sounds like, Tammy, if you love me, you will prove to me that you love me by, by being a good girl and doing everything that I tell you. And don't even tell me you love me if, if you haven't done everything that I told you to do. We, we can read it out of the wrong tree, out of the wrong gospel, and that is not what it says. Do you know what it says? It says, if you love me, you will. You, you don't even have to think about the command, because you will. You'll want to. It'll be a delight. Just love me, and you will. I don't wake up every day thinking, okay, now Tammy, today you have to be faithful to Peter. And remember, there is a commandment that says, thou, no, thou shalt not commit adultery. So, slap on my hands every day, tell myself, I can do this for one more day, I can be faithful. I don't do that. You know why I don't do that? Because I love him. I love him. I don't have to think about it, because I love him. So here's my question to you. What side of the comma are you living on? Are you living on the love side? Or are you living on the obeying side? Because if you don't get the correct side first, it's in order. It's in order for a reason. Jesus says, love me first. And this is a great truth, and it's huge, and it can change your life. Love me first. Here's the second thing. Be careful of this particular word. Don't allow condemnation. Don't allow it in your life. Don't allow condemnation. Because as soon as I finish this, finish this message, Satan is going to do what he did to Eve, and the same thing that happened in, in Galatia with those Jewish Christians when they came along, they said, uh-uh-uh. 
Satan just works overtime to condemn you. And he will never stop, and don't expect him to stop. He'll come along and say, you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. And, and every time, the tendency is going to be to go back into performance-based religion. But what you really need to do is you need to press into God. You need to press in. You need to pursue him. You need to chase after him. And by the way, this isn't only towards yourself, it's towards others too. Because one of the best ways to know if you're eating out of the wrong tree is how you view other people's sin. As soon as you start measuring others up, mm -mm, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You can't even judge someone unless you are in the other tree. You are in the wrong gospel. Romans 8 says it this way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's powerful and it's important. And because the enemy just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back, here's the key to unlocking freedom. You have to make the choice every day. Every day. This is not a one-time decision. I think often Christians think, oh, like, the gospel is for people who don't know Jesus. No! We have to choose to live in the right gospel every single day. Or today I'm going to stay in love with you. There's no condemnation. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to see how close I can get to you in relationship because I need to know you more. As we close the service today, I want you to listen to the words of this verse. Because this verse is our invitation. It's our call to action. And it comes from Deuteronomy Chapter 30, verse 19. It says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. Oh, that you would choose life. Some of you are here today and you're in the wrong tree. And you have felt the shame and you've experienced the loss of innocence and the whole thing, it's just been work for you. God today is inviting you to the other tree, to the real gospel, the gospel of grace and love and freedom. He's inviting you to a relationship, not religion. Many of you in this room have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And maybe you think you don't need to hear the message of the gospel. But I promise you that we do. 
Because we need to stay in the right gospel. Because there's a lot that depends on us staying in the right gospel. And, and some of you maybe are here today and, and you've never even started a journey with Jesus. And I, I am here to tell you that the message of the gospel is one of freedom. It is one of love. It is one of hope. It is not one of condemnation. It is not one of rules and regulations. We do not serve an angry, cranky God. We serve a God who loves us even in the midst of everything that we do wrong. He smiles. He sings over us. Wherever you are in your journey with Jesus today, my prayer for you is going to be that you could embrace him in the freedom that you could embrace him in the grace. Because that's the message of the real gospel. Let's pray together. God, today we're thankful for your word. And we're thankful for the way that it challenges us the way it shapes us and molds us, the way it continues to call us back to the real gospel, to the tree of life. And Father, I pray for each and every person in this room today. Lord, wherever they are in their journey with you, God, would you meet them there? Would you meet them there with a smile? with joy, with peace, with love, with grace abounding. And Lord, would you break the chains that bind us from experiencing your freedom? Lord, would you break down the barriers of shame that we've built up around us? Spirit, would you come and, and do the work in our hearts and our lives? that we so desire, but for some reason have such a hard time getting to. Lord, would you help us to unlock freedom like we have never experienced it before, that we could know your grace, that we could live in a place where all that we need to know is that we are a sinner deeply loved by the King. Lord, would you work powerfully in the lives of those in this room today? And as we go from this place, God, I pray that you would go with us in a, in a powerful way. That God, when Satan starts banging down our door with doubt and condemnation today, that Lord, we would be reminded of a God who gave so much for us that we would be reminded of a God who walks with us each and every day, that holds our head up, and that says to us, we are deeply loved. And you are so good, and we are so thankful. We pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.